Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we talk about your 5 and 15 Detroit Pistons. Ben Galker and I talk about Seku Dumboya seeing a minutes increase, the trade rumors around Derrick Rose, and what's the best nickname for Isaiah Stewart. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we'd like to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How you doing, Ben? Laz, I'm doing pretty well. Kind of a fun week for the Pistons, too. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And yeah, it was a, it was a good week. I mean, they got blown out twice, but it was still a good week. It was just like <laughs> that. It goes to show you what kind of year it's going to be like for our Detroit Pistons. Um, but they also won two games, which I guess makes it the more exciting thing uh, they missed. Uh, they beat two good teams missing their two good players, Philadelphia without Joel Embiid and Los Angeles without Anthony Davis. Uh, I was afraid that with those two wins, they were going to mess up the tank, but then they uh, lost to golden state by a lot of points and maybe stay up until really late to watch them lose by a lot of points. So, so Ben, we can, we can safely say that they're not going to mess up the tank, right? Well, they're not going to mess up the tank completely, but, um, you know, Laz, maybe we'll talk about this in a few minutes. They're probably not the worst team in the league, right? And they're starting to play like that a little bit more often, I think. So uh, if your heart's set on the worst record in the league and the number one pick, then maybe the tank feels a little messed up. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is not, I I don't think we're going to see two and two every week for the rest of the season, for sure. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. And I think what we saw against Golden State is going to be more typical. We're going to talk about Wayne in a little bit, but you know, Wayne didn't have a great night and, and the offense is really going to struggle when Wayne doesn't have a great night. But something I've been keeping an eye on, I should say, is the Pistons net rating and they are currently right now. I know they played some games uh, this afternoon. Don't at me. I don't know what uh, I don't know how the Knicks losing against the Clippers affects this, but right uh, at the beginning of the day, they were 23rd in net rating, um, which is like, you know, the seventh worst. So they feel very much to me like a, a regular bad team instead of like the worst team in the league, which they were by record until they won two games this week. And so I hope they continue to play well, but you know, that, <laughs> That number one pick, right? There's only so many lottery uh, chances you get at it. And so it, it does help to be bad. And so I wonder how they they continue to, to you know, conflate those two things, com- com- competitiveness and, and trying to get a high draft pick. Well, and weirdly, Wayne Ellington seems to be the guy propelling them out of the basement. Who would have thought that, right? Right. Like, I mean, yeah. It's it's so crazy because like he was literally the last free agent pickup they made, 
right? He was uh, almost an after an afterthought on the roster, and he, he's shooting fifty two percent from three in the month of January. So uh, it's just it's and like you know that's not going to last. But while it is lasting, we should definitely trade him for like Kawhi Leonard or Steph Curry, right, Ben? It seems fair, really. I mean, historic shooting percentage has got to be worth something like that, right? <laughs> no, but but do you think there's a chance that they uh, they offload Wade to a playoff team? Do you think that's the uh, I think that's the kind of move a playoff team might be interested in at the deadline? I mean, you would think, right? Minimal salary commitment. Um, of course, he's not going to shoot 52 percent, as you rightly noted. That's not going to be sustainable forever. But the dude can shoot. I mean, that is what he does. That's what he's known for. And uh, look, if you're looking to expand your bench a little bit and make a run in the playoffs, you know, in a seven game series, if Wayne Ellington gets hot four games in a row, your bench just got a lot more deadly. Um, So, you know, I I have to think the Pistons are exploring that that trade market for him. Um, If they're not doing it now, hopefully they're doing it soon because there's there's just got to be something there. Yeah, I've seen like as other national interests have taken a look at just like what Wayne's been producing on a night in and night out basis. I've seen like Bucks fans to be like, Hey, like, could we get Wayne for like basically nothing? I've seen heat fans be like, Hey, like, you know, uh, a Wayne Ellington, Duncan Robinson pairing, just like, you know, having a lot more shooting than most other teams can, can manage um, one way or another on the floor at once could be like really good for, for our team. I know like, you know, Philadelphia is always looking for more shooting. Um, you, you imagine that, uh, who else am I thinking of? Even, even a team like Denver, right? Like they're winning by like 25 points right now, but you, you imagine that uh, they could use um, more shooting, not necessarily to guard play, but more, more shooting on that team as they look to secure a playoff berth. And so like, I, I definitely think there's going to be interest in Wayne. It's really just going to be whether or not the Pistons want to let him go. We've seen them. We've seen the front office kind of not really prioritize maximizing assets. I don't know how they feel about Wayne as a future long-term asset, seeing as how they brought him in a one-year deal on the minimum. But uh, I'd be curious to see if uh, that's something they pursue as we get closer to that. But for now, uh, he is the only thing keeping the offense afloat, and I'd like I'd like it to continue for at least a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I think it you think about the the veterans that Troy Weaver brought in. And I think there was certainly a plan there to maximize the veteran skill set relative to Killian Hayes. And I think, you know, if I'm Troy Weaver, obviously he knows more about Killian's injury situation, having to knock down shooter to stretch the floor, having a smart pick and roll center, like Mason Plumlee, um, you know, Blake Griffin out there, like that, that all makes sense when you've got a healthy Killian Hayes, but you know, We'll see what happens with his injury situation. But, um, you know, if he comes back this season healthy, like maybe there's still that incentive to keep Wayne on the roster because you're doing it specifically for Killian's development. Um, But I don't know, man, the thought of getting a future pick to me is tantalizing and exciting because the Pistons, they need to restock the cupboard as we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, that would help offset some of the losses of the four future second round picks that they sent out for Luke Kennard. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to turn the attention a little bit to one of the young guys, though. Seku. Seku has been playing over the last five games. He's putting up 17 uh, minutes a night. I, I was going to say points. He's not <laughs> averaging 17 points. Come on, guys. Six points a game, 
three rebounds. Don't worry about the percentages too much. Just be happy that he's playing 17 minutes a night. Ben, this is this is evidence that uh, we were all kind of freaking out a little bit earlier this uh, this year about whether or not he was going to play full time, right? Yeah, I mean, I st- I still think 17 minutes a night feels low, but maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just too invested in the young guys <laughs> playing at this point. But I mean, the thing the thing that I love about Seku when he plays is how hard he runs the floor. I mean, he's not putting up great numbers. He's not shooting the ball well. You can't say he's making a dramatic impact when he's out there, but you know, you talked about the Pistons being, you know, sort of bottom third in terms of uh, net rating, right? Like their pace is also really, really slow. Um, they're they're in the bottom third, twenty fourth out of thirty, right? So one one spot lower in terms of their pace, and two guys who to me always run Svi and Seku. So. At a minimum, what you're going to get out of Seiko right now, we've talked about in the past, right? Like, what is that one thing you can count on Seiko to do? Like, I think maybe running the floor and pushing the pace a little bit. Um, and, and he actually run. he's a rim runner. He runs the rim really well, and he, he tries to seal 560 away from the basket. So um, I hope that he's carving out a permanent niche because to me, like, I think back to that monster game he had a season ago, like his, his breakout game. And I just want to see glimpses of that. And I, I think you just got to get, you got to get the consistent minutes. And and hopefully that's what we're seeing. He's rounding into sort of this consistent rotational um, allotment of minutes, 15, 16, 17 minutes a game uh, where he gets a chance to play every, every game like that. Yeah. I, I think one ancillary benefit of him playing more as well is that guys are getting used to playing with him. I think we've seen, like you mentioned, that him and Svi like to get out and run. Um, we saw, you know, kind of this is one of the things that was kind of worth staying up for in the Golden State game. We saw uh, him, Svi, and Josh Jackson all on the floor at the same time. And we see that, like, when when Josh Jackson gets a rebound and gets out in transition, like, he likes to run, he likes to initiate. And, and so, like, if he's playing alongside other guys, like, he's one of the few guys who's, like, looking for Seku on those um on those deep seals underneath the basket i don't i love the fact that he runs the floor i don't really love those deep seals he's done it he's had a couple times this season already where he's gotten the deep position and then the pass the outlet pass is kind of too deep and so he finds himself like kind of stuck underneath the rim and bad things happen but uh i i do like the fact that he's just like running the floor um i, I like the fact that he's showing he showed me a lot of engagement last night against the warriors on the defensive end um there's a couple times when like you know uh, especially later in the game as you're throwing out lineups that haven't played a lot of minutes together he is and, and aren't really communicating defensively but like he's you know out of the perimeter trying to chase guys down he's out in the perimeter trying to make good closeouts um and so i'm i'm glad that he's playing i'm glad that guys are getting used to playing with him and I, I hope, I can only hope he's playing in a way that uh, the coaching staff finds appealing. The The last thing I'll say about Seku is that I, I talked about this a little bit. Other people have talked about this a little bit. We've, we've all kind of noticed the same thing. Um, playing Seku with, with Mason Plumley weirdly, might be a good idea just because, again, like Mason is one of those guys who is a good passer and a good facilitator and someone who will find you if you are open. And so, and uh, Isaiah Stewart, for all of the things that Isaiah Stewart is, he is not that 
right now. And often when Seku is playing with Derrick Rose, Derrick Rose is also not necessarily a guy who always finds you when you're open. And so I wonder if there's a way to kind of stagger the rotations to make that pairing, the Mason Plumlee Seku pairing, uh, a reality a little bit more often. And I think that would be beneficial for both dudes. What do you think about that, Ben? I think that makes sense. And I, I think we're starting to see Casey prefer Seku at the four. Um, you know, I'm not convinced that's his natural position yet. Maybe it's more just a function of the roster. The fact that he can play both, his minutes are just coming at the four because that's where the spot is. I think it also makes sense um, if you think about Mason Plumley as the anchor of the team defense at the center position. We know that, you know, one of Seku's weaknesses is, is kind of getting lost defensively sometimes. Um, so maybe there's an, an argument for that as well. Um, being on the floor with a guy like Mason Plumley defensively, um, you, you learn by doing, right? So he, he gets some good reps in there with Mason Plumley, who's a solid team defender and who can maybe uh, quarterback him around a little bit. Um, I do like that idea. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about the defensive benefit benefits as well, but that that's a good bonus too. You're right. Um, absolutely. Uh, oh, next thing. Speaking of, actually, we're kind of talking about Derek Rose. There was uh, We got a little bit of trade rumors. Our first kind of hint of uh, trade rumors around the Pistons earlier uh, this week. We got from the Athletics Shams Sharania that uh, the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Clippers are both interested in Derrick Rose. Um, the Clippers have a bunch of future second round picks from the Pistons that they could give back, I guess, in return for Derrick Rose. Uh, meanwhile, the Knicks have their own first round pick, the Clippers first round pick and the Pistons 2021 second round pick, which I think now is like the 30 second or 33rd uh, pick in the 2021 NBA draft. Ben, what do you think, if any, what do you think, if in anything, uh, Derek Rose is worth in, in terms of draft capital uh, at the trade deadline? Yeah, I think this is a hard question because he's not playing as well as he played a season ago. If you look, mm-hmm. you know, a, lo- a lot of things are consistent from a season ago, but his shooting is down quite a bit. And I think, you know, his just absolutely laser-like mid-range jumper of the last two seasons, you know, for Minnesota and then for Detroit, um, really made him a dynamic offensive threat. And I think um, he's struggling to shoot the ball this year in a way that he wasn't the past two seasons. So, you know, if I'm acquiring him, I'm a little more skeptical. I, you know, I want to see a little bit more. Is this lagging injuries? Is this, you know, age really catching up with him? You know, what's going on? Is this something we can rectify within this season or not? And to me, that makes a big difference. Now, having said that, you know, either of those teams is, you know, looking to acquire him in a, in a backup role. The Knicks actually scrappy and, and kind of threatening a playoff run this season. Interestingly enough, like, um, you know, either of those teams can obviously use Derrick Rose as he is now, right? Like he can still be, he's still productive. He's just not quite what he was a season ago. You know, in terms of his value, I think it's got to be less this season than it was a season ago because his shooting is down. Um, but, you know, again, if I'm Troy Weaver, I'm kind of thinking about it the same way as I'm thinking about, you know, Wayne Ellington. Like, you, you've got this veteran point guard. You're you're thinking about the future core and which veterans do you have that you, you want to keep on the roster because you want to mentor these young players, um, you know, and, and how much of a draft compensation package would it take for you to sort of give up on that plan, you know. And, again, I favor I favor trading him. I think getting a, getting a future pick for him, um, is certainly worth doing this year to me second round picks pick or picks feel more realistic than first rounders uh, just because of the slight decline in his play 
Um, and I'm going to be pulling the trigger on that, you know, especially, um, you know, especially as we get closer to the trade deadline. Yeah. I, I wonder if the, the, I wonder if his uh, shooting numbers being down is really that much of a limiting factor on his trade value only because like when you think about the, the teams that are, are interested in him, the Clippers and the Knicks that we know for sure, the Clippers don't necessarily like need him to create like mid range shots for them. Right. Like the, the thing that they are missing, um, they have a lot of guards, they have a lot of point guards. Um, but the thing that they're missing is a point guard who can like really get all the way to the rim. Sure. And that, that would be why like they would acquire Derek Rose is because he can still do that. Um, the Knicks uh, fully full interest. I don't really know why the Knicks would be interested in Derek Rose. Um, I, you know, we, we kind of laughed at their uh, ideal of a playoff push um, this early in the season. And we know about the, uh, the Tom Thibodeau connection there. Like, uh-huh. you know, Derek Rose played for him in Chicago and Minnesota. And the two obviously have had some, some very good times together, but uh, like the, the Knicks are, you know, playing Emmanuel quickly, like quite often. And they have another you know, starting level point guard in, in Alfred Payton. And so I, I, you know, and so, you know, Rose would fulfill a lot of the same factors, like getting, you know, getting a point guard who provides rim pressure. But, you know, I I don't know what, I don't know, like, what timeline or what schedule the Knicks think they're on that they would be, you know. <laughs> they're the Knicks, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't, like, you I, don't have to understand it. You just, they're the Knicks. It was like, okay, okay. I guess we should just take advantage of the fact that they're the Knicks if they're going to do some Knicks stuff. But, yeah. Interestingly... Why in the world do the Knicks have Wayne Ellington on their books this season? Uh, they give him a team, they, they gave him an option. They might they have sh- given him an option on that last year. Interesting. Okay, I was just looking at their contract situation as we were talking, and you can cut this if you want to. But he's on their books according to Basketball Reference. Yeah, he. I might have had. He might have had a player option, and so they might have had like they owed him some dead money in Got order it. to cut him. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. And, you know, speaking of dudes, they didn't maximize, right? Like right. Derrick Rose was not at his uh, happiest and, and mm-hmm. uh, most, uh, you know, well-rounded playing self in New York the last time he was there. So I do wonder if the Pistons have any uh, trepidation about, you know, reintroducing him to that scenario. Um, and I know that something that they've emphasized or the front office has kind of told the media that they're trying to emphasize is, you know, you know, being more cordial with players, like, you know, helping guys, helping veterans, like get where they want to go. And so I wonder if, I wonder if Derek Rose like wants to be in New York, quite honestly, and how much that factors into any uh, potential Derek Rose trades. Well, and then there's also the, the, the handshake agreement they reportedly came to right when they signed him, which was, you know, he wanted to be close to his family and that's why Detroit made sense and all that. So you know, only yeah. they, only the insiders really know the truth of that. But that certainly could be an important part. No, I, absolutely, and and so we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Um, I do wonder, like, you know, with Killian Hayes set to be back sometime in like uh, late March, early April, if we're lucky, and uh, they're only really being like Saban Lee and Frank Jackson behind him. I do wonder what the uh, like what the Pistons would do without Derrick Rose for an extended period of time. We uh, there's also kind of a rumor, well, not a rumor, but we know the Pistons have had interest in Dennis Smith Jr. before 
Smith Jr. has been, uh, he still plays for the Knicks. He's out of the rotation in the Knicks so much so, he's so much so out of the rotation, that he asked to be assigned to the G League bubble in Florida so he could get playing time and kind of show what he's got. Um, a very mature move for him, but uh, you know, not exactly, not a, um, not an amazing sign of like where his career is at. Uh, four years into it, I believe, and so uh, you know, I wonder if that might be in a part of a potential return in any Derrick Rose to the Knicks trade. But uh, that you know, acquiring Dennis Smith is not the reason to trade Derrick Rose, right? All right, Ben, the next thing I want to talk about was something we uh, actually I actually got from one of our users. Deep shout out to DBB user JGK381. Uh, he pointed out something interesting about Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin is way more effective on two days of rest instead of three days of rest. Uh, and on one day of rest, or sorry, he's more effective on two days of rest instead of one day of rest. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> on one day of rest, he's averaging only 10 points. On two days of rest, he's averaging 14 points. On one day of rest, he's shooting th- uh, 27% from three, which is pre- real bad. On two days of rest, he's shooting 42% from three. And I think most tellingly and most surprisingly to me, on, on one day of rest, he's got a negative 5.7 uh, net rating. And on two days of rest, he's actually got a positive rating of plus two in, in net rating um, when he's on the court. So on, on two days rest, he's a, he's a better playmaker as well. You know, but this is something we, we've kind of pushed and pulled around, like what to do with Blake as the season has gone along, Ben. Do you think being more aggressive in, in resting Blake and kind of using these numbers as a, as a numerical basis to do so is, uh, is one way to increase what he brings to this team? Well, shout out to JGK381. This is actually something I looked up after the Lakers game as well because I was so struck by um, the disparity in performance um, from one game to the next. Um, and I, it, it occurred to me, like, well, what would happen if you just rested Blake more, right? Because he had um, really the best game of the season. He, you know, he was still very three-point heavy against the Lakers. I think he took 10 threes, if I'm not mistaken, five out of 10. So he's still very three-point heavy. And it's not like we saw, like, um, you know, a dramatically different Blake. But then when you look at the splits, and we're talking about six games and seven games here, right? So you've got basically almost all of the games, all but two fall within this one or two days of rest scenario. Um, you know, if I'm on the coaching staff, if I'm one of the assistant coaches and I, I realize this stat, I mean, I think it's something that you certainly um, should be actively discussing because it's, it's fairly dramatic. Um, and with as much as Blake is shooting the ball from three this season, you know, that's like a 15 point percentage swing, right? From 27 to 42. Um, it's dramatic enough that I think you you have to take a look at that seriously. And, you know, in so doing, if, if you do that, you get the added bonus of, I think, potentially playing Jeremy Grant at the four, which, you know, I still, I'm still sort of persuaded that maybe that's his long-term future here in Detroit if and when Blake Griffin, uh, you know, moves on. So you get a little sneak, sneak peek at that as well. And then the other reason I would consider it is if you're trading Blake Griffin, you're trading him to a, a contender, right? Um, as, as unlikely as it seems that the Pistons would trade him, if you utilize his minutes in this way, you're probably giving potential trade partners uh, a more realistic look at what they might be able to expect out of Blake Griffin because whoever acquires him 
is you know not going to be playing him 34 minutes a night in a starting role right they're, they're looking to round out their rotation in some way and that's kind of what you might expect come playoffs right you're getting a little bit more rest between games and those kinds of things so um to me it seems like it would be a win-win it was much more enjoyable to watch blake griffin play against la right it's much more enjoyable to see him knock down shots um convert in the post a little bit and even facilitated i thought he facilitated and passed well um, too so i think you you just have to look at this no absolutely um he uh, he had six assists in the Laker game. You you weren't imagining the extra facilitation, um, six assists, zero turnovers. Um, I think the the thing that shows me the most that like you you really need to just consider this more heavily, in addition to the three point shooting, which I think is all is like a lot of its legs, right? Like yeah. Blake shoots a pretty heavy ball, um, and if his legs aren't right, you you see a lot of short and you see a lot of like left right. Um, the other thing is defensively. I thought he was, uh, you know, I thought he was less noticeable on the defensive end against the Lakers than he's been like in the past. Um, and I think that, you know, he was very noticeably pretty bad. Uh, they were, the Warriors were attacking with split cuts all night. And uh, if you involved him in any action with Steph Curry, like that was ball game. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if if there's any way to just like show other teams like that there still is value in what Blake Griffin like has to offer. I think you definitely have to explore that. We talked about this. We talked about this uh, last week, the week before uh, in the Houston game when uh, Dwayne Casey talked a little bit more about playing him at center again, because that's the role he would probably be playing on uh, on a contending team just kind of the, the backup offense uh, offensive, like main uh, hub center. And so we're hoping to see a little bit more of that. And, you know, the the fact of the matter is that like Blake Griffin needs to be showcased um, in a way that makes it easier for the Pistons to to trade him, and it not necessarily in a way that's going to make him uh, happy. I'm sure Blake is not necessarily like happy with having to rest like every other day, but if it's going to make him a more effective player and it's going to get him what he wants, which is uh, which what he said he wants, which is a, a situation in which he can has the opportunity to win a championship. Um, then I, I think he should be more amenable to that. I think he should, you know, be willing to give it an, an honest try. Um, I do kind of wonder about the ripple impacts of that uh, across the team though. I'm, I was listening to the low post this week. Uh, they brought up the, uh, they were talking about the Chicago bulls and like the uh, infamous time the bulls have had kind of over the last decade um, they brought up the time, like remember, like Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler, like completely ripped their their young guys after uh, a pretty bad loss uh, one day, and then they had like a team meeting about it, and and the young guys were like, you know, we really looked up to you, Dwayne Wade, but like you never practice, so like you know, you ripping us is not cool, and so I wonder if like Blake resting all the time, uh, and you know, not playing every other day, I wonder how that plays in the locker room, especially. Uh, if he's like, you know, the team leader and he's not playing and uh, I don't know if he's practicing or not, he's not practicing and that, that kind of, that's the kind of thing that you, you hope like Dwayne Casey like sees and nips in the bud, but it's also kind of the, the, the like knock on effect that I'm worried about if you stop playing Blake, you know, every, every single game. Yeah. The flip side of that though, is it, it creates opportunities for other people to play. Right. So, true. um, I get what you're saying. I, you know, I experienced that in my, you know, in my own athletic career where 
you know, <laughs> I have such a vivid memory of one particular practice where all of this, the top seven players were excluded from practice. I mean, the rest of us had to practice and run, run sprints for half an hour. And that I resented my coach so hard after that, because <laughs> it's like, not only did I not play in the last game, but I had to run sprints while they watched like that, that felt unfair. But, um, you know, one other point I want to make about Blake Griffin and, and we can move on is I think you have to, and hopefully coach Casey is the guy to do it. Like somebody's got to sell Blake Griffin on reality. Right. I mean, I think, Maybe he's already in tune to it, but I think anyone who's watched him this season knows that he is not what he used to be. He's not going to be what he used to be. And the most effective role for him is going to be in a diminished amount of minutes and maybe fewer games a season. And um, if he's proven it on the court, maybe it makes that case a little bit easier, right? Like maybe this is part of the sales pitch to Blake. And look, I mean, to me, it seems like the most likely out of this situation for both is, is some sort of a buyout, right? The other thing that I think makes this more feasible is if Blake wants to go wherever he wants, like it would do him well to be as effective as he can be and, mm-hmm. and resting more is going to make him more attractive in the long run as well. No, no, absolutely. All right, Ben, I want to talk about something a little bit more fun. Uh, we all love Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart has very quickly endeared himself to Pistons fans. But there's been some argumentation on Twitter and on our board about like what his nickname should be. So Ben, what what's your preferred Isaiah Stewart nickname? We've got we got Beef Stew, we got which is the nickname I've been using. We got Big Stew, also a good one. You got Zeke Freak, we got Jamaican Jerk. I've seen some others. If you uh, got any other ones, you know, shout them out in the post. But yeah, what, what do you think uh, Isaiah Stewart's nickname should be? I'm partial to Beef Stew, probably because it's the first one I heard and it just felt right. <laughs> so I like that one. Zeke Freak, I don't know. I mean, I get I get the connection to Zeke, but that nickname just feels like it should be sacred. Like that that nickname should be retired, I feel like, to me. So, um, and then Jamaican Jerk, like I'm not going to touch that. Like if... If Isaiah Stewart wants to talk about that, he can talk about that. But I don't know. I I kind of like beef stew. That's just kind of where uh, it's kind of what I heard first. I love beef stew uh, as a meal, and I love Isaiah Stewart, so that all makes sense to me. Yeah, I I like beef stew too, just because like he's a beefy dude, right? Yeah. Like it it makes a lot of sense. And the the argumentation we got, you know, from uh, from people was that like beef stew is not what a guy nicknamed beef stew doesn't isn't usually like as cut as isaiah stewart is like isaiah stewart is not like a he's a beefy dude but he's not like a a, a chubby or like a fat yeah, dude. husky yeah 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 he's but he's big he's not he's not husky but like i don't know beef stew just fits i like it i would i would be willing to settle on big stew as a compromise big is like less fun than beef it is less fun i like it yeah, that's true yeah i and i agree with you about zeke freak zeke freak it feels weird calling any player Zeke on the Pistons. Yeah. Like it, 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 it just doesn't feel right. There's only one Zeke in, in Detroit. And then uh, <laughs> Jamaican Jerk, I kind of like just because there's, there's very uh, there's a lot of different meanings behind that. You know, like we've got jerk, we got jerked meat. He is kind, he does kind of uh, inspire people to call him a jerk on the court. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, but I, that is also kind of like. Yeah, I would, I would want to see how he how he feels about uh, Jamaican jerk before I just start calling him that. But yeah, 
beef stew beef stew is a good nickname guys like let let me have fun things i like beef stew <laughs> i'll settle for beef for big stew but beef stew i think it's got to be got to be the top nickname yeah it's a good working class meal too right like it just feels like blue collar like detroit i'm i'm in i like it yeah yeah exactly it's working collar for sure all right ben that was pretty much all the stuff i had uh what, what caught your eye anything you want to talk about I got two quick things. They're both like zoom out macro perspective stuff from the week. And they're just, they're quick stats, right? So in the two wins, Pistons had 31 made threes, right? That turns into 93 points. And the two losses, only 20 translates into 60 points. That's that's big, right? 33 points over two games. That That's huge. Um, you know, we saw DeLon Wright have a career high. We saw Wayne Ellington continue to just shoot the everything out of the basketball. We talked about this a lot a season ago. Dwayne Casey's offenses tend to generate a lot of threes. And when they make them, they can still win. And they can still beat pretty much anybody, right? Beat the Lakers, beat the Sixers, two of the top teams in the NBA. In spite of the fact that they were missing their big guys. Uh, when you shoot the ball that well, you can still win. And then uh, the other one is turnovers. Um, in their two wins, 26 turnovers, 13 a game, and their two losses, 36 with 22 of those coming against um, Cleveland all by, all by itself. So when you shoot the ball well and you take care of the basketball, anybody in the NBA can beat anybody, including the Pistons. Uh, and, and when you don't, you can lose to anybody <laughs> and you can get blown out by anybody. So you know, just from a macro perspective, like – um, you know, th- those two things really jumped out to me. Um, when, you, when you shoot and don't turn it over, you can you can still win a whole lot. Um, and it, it's fun to watch, too, right? I mean, even though we want this team to get a high draft pick, it's still fun to see him. You know, Wayne Ellington just coming off screen, shooting the ball off balance, like, you know, knocking down everything. That's Look, that's still fun to watch. Um, and I'm, st- I'm still here for it, right? Like, I mean, he's still old and he's still not a part of the future. But, you know, I certainly did enjoy that this week. Yeah. I mean, like, and the flip side of that, right, is you turn the ball over a bunch, like, that. that's not fun to watch. No. No, no matter who you're playing, no matter what guys are on the floor, like, that. that's not fun. That's not fun from an inter- entertainment perspective. The uh, The Cleveland game was a great reminder that they can lose to, to anybody. <laughs> Cleveland's not a particularly uh, – they're a good team. They're not a great team. They're a pretty good team. Um, but, you know, something the broadcast even was pointing out was how often they force turnovers and how much how big of an impact that is on there. Like, I think they were eighth in defensive rating uh, when that game was happening. I don't know where they where are right now. Uh, but like, yeah, they're fourth in turnovers uh, caused uh, in the league. And, and you really saw it with the with the way that they were playing defense and they weren't even doing anything like crazy schematically. No, like insane traps or, or anything like that. They were just playing really physical defense, getting arms and uh, hands and passing lanes and just making stuff happen. And I think that's another lesson that you can, you can kind of pull from for a young team like the Pistons. Like, Hey, like if you, if you play defense defense, the way like it's supposed to be played, like you can make good things happen. You can make uh, transition opportunities happen and, and you can win, win games when you force other teams to mess up in the way that you guys occasionally mess up. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, there's, there's coaching moments in, um, from the perspective of the roller coaster of, of any given game, right? I mean, when you're a three-point reliant team, like you're going to have highs and lows. That's just inherent in the scheme right now. And so there's opportunities for young players to learn from that, right? Like you don't you don't need to 
um, you know, give up on the season because you had a four game stretch where you didn't shoot the ball well, right? Because those next four games, mm-hmm. your goal is going to be to shoot the ball better, right? And the, the shots are going to fall and that's good for young teams and for young players to learn how to weather those storms, right? Because that's just the way basketball goes. All right, Ben, the Pistons are in the midst of their road trip. First big road trip of the season. They are playing at Denver, who is playing right now on Monday. They're at Utah on Tuesday on the back-to-back. They are at Phoenix on Friday, so they got a nice little uh, distance in between those two games. Um, I would be surprised to see Blake play both of those Denver-Utah games. Again, like that's something we'll have to continue to monitor is how much he plays. And so at Phoenix on Friday and then at the Lakers on Saturday, I'm sure the Lakers will be looking for vengeance <laughs> and that will be a, a not so fun game to watch. Uh, this is, this is looking kind of tight, Ben. Do you think they play a, a close game this week? I think this is a really bad week in the schedule. Um, you know, you've got Utah just playing crazy basketball right now. And then every, every other one of those teams you mentioned is, is a, you know, a good team and they, they cause matchup problems for the Pistons. So, I'm not liking this one. I'm not liking this week very much, Laz. I wasn't liking it last week either, um, but I don't know. This this does not feel like a a week of close basketball going to be played to me. Yeah, I've, maybe like Denver is again like the Denver is playing Utah as we record, and Denver is up by a lot, and so maybe Denver will be kind of uh, you know a little bit you know pleased with themselves on the back to back you know ending Utah's 11 or 12 game winning streak yeah. and so uh that's an opportunity maybe for the Pistons to come in and be competitive but yeah U- Utah's playing really extremely well right now um that'll be a tough game um Phoenix even though uh I think Devin Booker's still hurt but uh Phoenix has been a buzzsaw earlier this year um, Phoenix is one of the teams the Pistons do have a victory over, and I'm sure they'll be uh, cognizant of that and looking for vengeance. And uh, same same for the Lakers. I expect uh, if the Lakers play Saturday and Anthony Davis plays and LeBron plays, like yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a lot tougher. Uh, this is this is looking like an O for for week. This is not uh, this is not looking good. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I did want to say like one thing too about the road trip. Uh, I, I wonder about just like road trips in general too with with this season just because of COVID uh, there was a recent story like an ESPN about like the difficulty NBA players were having in like staying connected with each other as a team, like on the road, just because uh, you know, with the the new protocols and everything, they are highly encouraged to not really do much, but uh, stay in their hotel rooms unless it's time to practice or play. And like, I, I understand that from a logistical perspective and we've seen how uh, a lot of teams have been kind of ravaged by COVID and how that's been, uh, a big uh, interruption to their schedules. And so you, you hope obviously that nothing happens to the Pistons, but the, the players, some of the players were quoted in the story also is just saying like, this is really like mentally tough on them. Um, the, the road, these long road trips are where like guys tend to build like a lot of camaraderie and learn about each other and not having the opportunity to do that can like also be weird. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping the Pistons, the, I'm hoping the traveling party, I'm hoping the team like has some sort of plan, for how they're going to address this stuff, like some zoom movie nights. They're going to be doing the same thing we've been doing, but I do hope that they've got something for the, uh, for the guys mentally. Yeah. And that has to be tough. I mean, I, I can certainly say road trips were a huge part of the bonding experience as a team. I mean, that that's definitely true. Um, I, I also like, I'm skeptical about the, how much 
those sorts of restrictions are actually having an effect on the spread of COVID. Because, I mean, you've got guys who are practicing with each other two and three hours a day, like up close and personal, right? Like certainly there's got to be a way for them to interact safely um, because they're, they're interacting in certainly non-COVID right? <laughs> protocol friendly ways for several hours a day. So it almost feels like a bit of um, a little bit of COVID theater to me to keep them completely isolated, but I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a health expert. Um, I don't know. It seems like if they can practice together, they, they can see each other outside of their hotel rooms, but yeah, it, it's gotta be tough. It's completely unique NBA season. Yeah. And I don't think I'm not even worried about them seeing each other. I am kind of worried about like them seeing other people correct on the road correct like that that's always the tricky part and that's the you know how are you going to dictate like who people can and can't see it's like well then they put in a lot of restrictions about that and uh we'll we'll see how that goes but yeah uh yeah, i i just I, I i something i'm keeping an eye on it's like how how they look on on this five game road trip right like there's definitely going to be an opportunity for them to show up in la on saturday and just look dog tired and for that game to go even more poorly than it normally does. Mm-hmm. So something, uh, something to keep an eye on for sure. All right, Ben, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find uh, whatever you're working on. Um, yeah. Let them know. At BR Golker on Twitter. And thanks guys for everyone who comments on the podcast pose in particular. Um, you know, I read those every week. I don't always jump into the fray in the comments, but we appreciate your feedback. We appreciate your support. Keep it coming. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate that. And you know, we appreciate everybody on the board. You see me again, you know, pulling out uh, stuff that individual users are noticing for use on the podcast. I don't read everything, but I read a lot of it. And so we, we really appreciate everybody who uh, takes the time to download and listen and, uh, and compliment us. That makes me feel nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you want to compliment me in person individually, that's also very nice. I would appreciate that. You can do so on Twitter at last chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. All right, everybody, this has been the Detroit bad boys podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. See ya.